Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Vampire Weekday. Uh, this week, we will be focusing on the song Hudson off of Vampire Weekend's third studio album, Modern Vampires of the City. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin. Today, we're going to introduce a new segment called Vampire News. Um, and the reason we're, we, we'll have some today is um, the Rolling Stone just uh, came out with an updated top 500 album list. Uh, you want to tell us about that, Kevin? Yes. So it's called the... So the, 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 the initial list, uh, first of all, folks, how are we doing out there today? The initial list came out in 2003. Uh, they called it the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. There was a reissue in 2013, the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Uh, among my friends, um, it's been a topic of great discussion. We, we absolutely love to talk about the top 500 list. Um, they came out with a new list earlier this week. I forget exactly what day. Um, but it came to my attention, I want to say on Wednesday, and this sort of stuff is super fun to talk about. And the direction they took with this list, I think, was very interesting. Um, the previous list were very rock-centric, and I think they gave a lot more credit to more classic pop uh, and hip-hop this time around. Uh, the number one album of all time in their eyes was uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which was a top 10 album previously. Um, but now to be number one, I think it's pretty impressive. But in topical fashion... We look at Modern Vampires, The City, which went from being unranked to number 328 on the list. So I'd say it's pretty good, um, solidly on the list. If I remember correctly, um, the debut album, Vampire Weekend, was on the 2013 list, somewhere in the low to mid 400s, um, citing the idea of an indie band with world music influence. Um, and I thought it was pretty fair was not ranked this time around to my knowledge. Um, but to have Modern Vampires in the span of just a few years um, kind of have a heightened opinion in the eyes of the brass at Rolling Stone, I think it's pretty impressive. Because, um, I mean, the album would have been brand spanking new if not even yet to be released at the time of the previous article. Uh, so impressive to see, see that kind of thing happen so quickly. One thing that sticks out to me with this, uh, the placement is... Um, I assume this is mostly because of recency, uh, fear of recency bias, but I feel like Father of the Bride is generally more acclaimed than Modern Vampires of the City. Um, I, I know it's mixed, thing. but yeah. Modern Vampires is my favorite album, but in terms of like when the reviews came out, I do remember Father of the Bride tended to have better reviews. I, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth on this because I think, I think we tend to forget that as popular as Father the Bride was and is, Modern Vampires was a very big deal at the time. It was a, it was a very big deal um, for a band that had already kind of broken into their thing, but then this is the first album where they really started to change direction and did so well. Um, and I mean, it's just a good album, you know? Um, you know, I, I, I think you could make the case Father the Bride is up there in a few years just because because it's long-lasting, people like it. But you could also make the case that Father the Bride is just an extension of Vampire Weekend, the debut album. You know, similar style of music, you could make the case. Um, but again, I mean, we could go back and forth on this all day. It's, it's mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to bring that up as we thought it was exciting to see Vampire Weekend uh, get into the top 500 album list. Uh, and maybe in the next 
maybe in 10 more years, uh, Father the Bride will get sneak up on that list. Um, let's, let's move on to our song, uh, Hudson, off of Modern Vampires of the City. What did you think, Kevin? So I, I, I don't know. I, when, when we called out this song's name last week on the show, I actually didn't really remember the song. So, I mean, I got, I got to re-listen and listen to a few times today. And my immediate thought is, if you remove the lyrics, this feels like it was on the Harry Potter soundtrack. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was, but it's, it's kind of got this really weird, like, I don't know how to describe it. But, I mean, that's, I, I think that's probably my best, like, face value description of musically what this sounds like. Um, and then musically kind of moving in the, as you get deeper to the song, you kind of have these different percussive elements. You've got something that goes from like a drum march to kind of that ticking noise you get in the background. And that almost made me feel like this should have been a part of like a musical, like this should have been in Les Mis or something. So in any event, this is very much a grand feeling song. This is, this is, this is a big deal. Um, I'm still not entirely sure what it's actually trying to tell us, but something important is clearly happening here. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel you. I have written in my notes in all caps, spooky feeling. Um, so yes, absolutely. I definitely got that vibe. Um, and I could easily see it being played in Les Mis after like the rebellion dies, like, like after everyone in the revolution dies. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it definitely has that very like somber, almost like theater-esque uh, feeling. Uh, so, exactly. Um, so the, on, on the surface level, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely very, very different from most Vampire Weekend albums. Uh, we, we talk a lot mm -hmm. on this podcast about the collegiate feeling of Vampire Weekend. Uh, and this is anything but <laughs> i don't i don't think you can make yes. any stretch to call it a collegiate feeling it's in a minor key uh it's very very somber the lyrics match the tone um because a lot of vampire weekend songs i think they're interesting because it's this upbeat song and then the lyrics are like actually really somber um but in this case it's just both and so you just kind of feel yeah feel spooked by it <laughs> Yeah, I am. Um, I was I was doing a little bit of reading on modern vampires, and let me find this quote from Ezra. It was where was this? It was something along the lines of, you know, some people have said to me, you can look at these at these first three albums as a coming of age story, and I mean that fits the collegiate theme of what we've we've seen in the debut album and kind of going into contra being a little weirder. Um, especially what we talked about last week with California English uh, kind of being this like love letter, um, if you will. And then looking at Hudson specifically being at the tail end of an album that is kind of a like, like the final chapter of a coming to age story. Um, it's, it, it does come across as in a strange way, reflective and contemplative. It's like this individual is, is looking back. I mean, specifically on events that are, appear to be named out here and we'll get into that um but i think the placement here is very intentional and if you want to view these albums as a set and this being the final of that set then i think it makes sense for a song like hudson to be where it is yeah yeah i, I think that's a great point um I, I i i was looking at how a lot of the language used here is the language of death you have like 
died, victim, stranger, mm-hmm. war, lost, crimes, haste, ruined, end. Um, and so it's a lot of these like uh, words with very negative connotations. Um, and so you said it's a coming of age story across these three albums. So maybe this is the ending of that um, and where where he dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man. Um, so how do you want to get into this? I mean, so first of all, there's the mention of the end a couple of times. And I mean, you're just speaking about death. I mean, that's an obvious kind of guess at that. Um, do we have any clues or, I mean, there's obviously going to be clues here, but do we have anything that's kind of tying or starting to tie together about what the end is? Yeah. I, a lot of people are saying it's this post-apocalyptic, um, New York, uh, that's being okay. displayed and it, it the, a lot of people tie that to the album cover uh, it's a picture of New York mm-hmm. City covered in fog that almost looks like uh, pollution so so they're saying that's like the post-apocalyptic New York shown here uh, I don't think it's that story intense uh, that it, this this uh, full sci-fi-esque post-apocalyptic uh, story arc but I, I think I think the setting you you could say that he he establishes a setting here that is that but I don't think there's too much of yeah, a story I, as much I mean but I, so there might not be a story but I think thematically across the album you look at like what we talk about with unbelievers about how there's a lot of religious imagery there and obviously when you think about that you do think about an end times kind of what's my final destination type deal and then even when you think about a song like diane young i mean there's some themes there that are kind of there's some finality to it so i think thematically you're on the right track there yeah i mean i I think we can just jump in with the first verse talking about hudson died and hudson bay Mm -hmm. because the song is it's it's based off of a poem that ezra wrote uh back in college i believe um, on Henry Hudson, who was this sea, uh, sea explorer in the 17th century, who was actually, he died in Hudson Bay, the bay named after him, because um, his crew committed a mutiny against him. They threw him off board and had it, left him to die. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, and that was another thing I was just trying to, geographically sort out here as we look at Hudson Bay being in Canada we also have the Hudson River and I'm sure Ezra was trying to play off of that you know um if you're writing a poem for a Columbia audience and um yeah it's it, it, it's interesting to think like that because he also mentions Sutton Place uh which mm-hmm. to my understanding or my very brief Wikipedia research is uh a street in the Upper West Side or neighborhood in the Upper West Side mm-hmm. um so I think in general, we're trying to tie back to New York City here, which makes a lot of sense considering the audience. Um, that's very interesting to note about Mr. Hudson there. Yeah, and I, I think that adds to what I was saying about the setting is established of, of this like dreary uh, and upsetting New York, um, but all of the plot lines don't necessarily tie together and I don't think they have sure. to. Because in verse two, it, uh, it talks about a stranger walked in through the door, said all apartments are pre-war. Uh, and apparently that's, that's like a joke amongst New Yorkers that some, some apartments oh. are pre-war be, 
for World War II, and there's like certain like quirks about them. But the the joke here is that they're heading to a World War Three, and so all the apartments have become pre-war at this point. Um, That's interesting, mm-hmm. and I think that plays into the the immediate next stands where we talk about the Germans playing the Greeks. I'm assuming yes. that's some sort of, I don't know, some Third Reich attempt there. And yes. then immediately going into 99-year lease, another classic sign of imperialism. Um, so that you're making a lot of sense there. This, this, this actually is starting to follow pretty quickly, or pretty clearly, I should say. Yeah, the, I, I, I love, probably my favorite line from the song is the Germans played the Greeks. Um, mm-hmm because it's talking about how the, like you said, the Third Reich plays as in like, almost like a theater play. Um, They're like trying to be the Greek empire. Um, They're trying to be this like Mm. expansive empire, um, both in terms of military and in terms of um, like culture. Um, And so, so I that that's like my favorite line. You you mentioned the ninety nine year lease. You want to go into that? Yeah, and this is this is something that I feel like I look this up like every six months on Wikipedia, and I look it up I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I always kind of forget the the minutia of it. Um, but I'm assuming I, I I can't imagine this is referencing anything other than the British Empire's ninety nine year lease uh, on Hong Kong, the island of or the area surrounding Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, which expired in the late nineties. Is that right? Um, but that was really, I mean, really one of the last like legitimate bastions of what once was the massive British empire. Um, and yeah, I think, I think to bring that up there in conjunction with, you know, the Germans and the Greeks is maybe not to mock anybody in particular, but to make a comment on imperialism overall. Yeah. I think, I think the overarching theme within this song that struck out to me is just anti-war in general or yes not even anti-war but anti like you said imperialism um because the chorus over and over again all these never ending visions and so you have visions from the the germans during world war ii to have this great expansive german empire you have visions from the roman empire you have visions from the british empire uh, you have visions from the American. Uh, we never were an empire, but in some ways we were. Um, so you have like manifest destiny. That's a vision um, of expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, yeah, looking back, that's pretty imperialistic. So that's fair. Yeah, that's fair exactly. There, I mean, American imperialism is definitely a thing. So, um, <laughs> um, And then over and over again, like a prize that's changing hands, just the commentary on how all these all these territories that have been uh, colonized or taken over, uh, do they end up being the same owner for, for long? No, they, they're always changing hands. Um, there's always another imperialist who takes it over at some point. Um, and so it's the prize that's like never actually like settled. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you mentioned your favorite line about the Germans playing the Greeks, that's great. But I think the way he ends this chorus with the all you who change your stripes can wrap me in the flag. Um, I mean, any, anybody who's been a citizen of any sort of large, powerful country could probably find some way to align themselves with that phrase. Um, and I guess kind of dissecting what it means specifically here is, 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 a, is, is an ordeal. But 
that in and of itself is really well written, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the clock is such a drag? Honestly, I, I, I hadn't thought too much about it before right now. The clock is such a drag. Do you have any thoughts? I was thinking in this whole piece, the war is impending. Um, so it's like you're just looking at the clock waiting for war to strike. Um, and um, even even within the the music itself, you have this impending feeling of doom. Um, with the drummers drumming it's just like slowly mm-hmm. slowly progressing um, almost marching to war and then you also have the clock ticking uh, you're just listening to the clock tick away until finally you sure hear the declaration of war yeah and then that and that yeah this again it's all starting to fit musically it's starting to make a little more sense with that with like that drum march like you mentioned the ticking that's there um mm-hmm. So this next little stanza here, the legendary wooden gate, the first established real estate is lost in time like all the crimes that won this pleasant land. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the last two lines there make a little sense in terms of what we've been talking about. What do we think we mean by the legendary wooden gate? Yeah, so I actually found out uh, what it means. <laughs> In, in Jamestown, they built uh, wooden gates around the... the oh! And so this is about Jamestown because uh, the natives didn't have a concept of real estate. Uh, a lot of the tribes were nomadic. Um, so, so that was the first real estate set up in the New World. Uh, and, and then is lost in time, like all the crimes. Uh, there's so many countless crimes by the first colonizers from, uh, of the, the New World. Um, and a lot of them are just lost in time. There's, there's this one town, um, I think it's Roanoke, uh, where... Roanoke? Yeah. Yeah. There, it was just like a massacre, but it's not really clear what happened. Um, so it's, it's lost in time. We, we can't know anymore. And then Mm. the last line I think is a clever play in words is it says that one, this pleasant land. At first, I thought it was peasant land. Uh, I thought I'd, I thought I'd act, when I was start, just read that now, I thought I, I copied the lyrics down wrong. Uh, so I was thinking <laughs> the same exact thing. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason for that. I don't think it's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think he, Ezra is just like, oh, the U.S. is so pleasant. <laughs> I, I think it's just. Uh, it, <laughs> it wouldn't like, fit, it doesn't fit the theme at all. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's that us here now say oh we're in this pleasant land or this great land of of america but in reality it was the peasants of america who the actual peasants who were the native americans who this land was taken from Mm -hmm. um which i i don't think is is a stretch at all considering the the what uh description he used for himself where he said he was um he was a post hippie domestically in the tenuous connection between preppiness and colonialism in terms of what he, he writes about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it's fair to say he's very critical of imperialism. Um, yes. Yeah. The, the fourth first now that the first half 
you you did some research so i'll let you dive in but that the first half threw me for a loop yeah so sutton place is is a neighborhood or a sub neighborhood whatever you want to call it um on the upper west side um so there's a couple there's a couple ties back to manhattan and new york city here hudson died on hudson bay but i was born on sutton place okay so there's Attempting to make some sort of connection here. The rising tide helped me decide to change my name again. Some men tend to linger on and some men make haste from Babylon. Some will roam their ruined home, rejoicing till the end. This does kind of feel like maybe, maybe he's admitting that he might be in some final chapter. You know what I mean? Mm, um, okay. Especially that last, that last line there. Some will roam the ruined home, rejoicing till the end. Maybe some understanding or realization that things are on their way out um mm -hmm. in whatever capacity you you see that happening and people are still doing their thing um make haste from babylon um that's gotta mean something right yeah so so i actually i love those three lines um because mm -hmm. it has i would say at least three different meanings the first one the one you said about um uh, kind of nearing the end and recognizing that Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one is, uh, remember, we're in a setting of this post-apocalyptic New York, and New York has been labeled um, the new Babylon um, before. And so, so it's, it's talking about some leaving uh, New York while some roaming their, their, um, their ruined homes within New York, just rejoicing till the end, just partying, debauchery mm -hmm. till the end, almost. Sure. Um, the third meaning I think is the 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 best one if intended, um, just because it's it's so hidden within it, um, and that is that I think it might be referencing the Babylonian captivity of Jews uh, in oh uh, in like six hundred BC. Maybe getting the time wrong, but um, so they were captives in in Babylon and were freed at one point um, and returned to their homes. But this was hundreds of years of captivity. And so when they returned to their homes, they're ruined. I mean, there, there's nothing there. there it's mm -hmm. hundreds of years past past, but they're rejoicing because they're free. Um, it doesn't matter that their homes are ruined. Um, they're, they're free mm -hmm. and all, that's all that matters. That's a fun interpretation. I guess my one hesitation with that is that it's almost too optimistic for pretty much everything else you've been dealing with here. You true, know what I mean? Very true. And if that's if that's the intention, that's kind of cool. I don't. Um, I don't think it's that could, the direct intention. I think it's just a fun little uh, interplay with like a secondary meaning. And that's fair. Um, if anything, what might sell that point is the first two lines of this little stanza. Hudson died on Hudson Bay, but I was born on Sutton Place. Maybe in the mm. sense that I have a better opportunity. I have a different opportunity. Mm -hmm. the, the juxtaposition of the two. Yes. And then finally, I think the wow. last thing okay. to talk about is the outro. Um, so what, what do you think the significances mm -hmm. of changing slightly the um the first the the it changes from the time has come the clock is such a drag 
to the lines are drawn, the map is such a drag. What do you think about that? I mean, you think about a line being drawn. I mean, you immediately think of, of wartime sentiments. Um, and yeah, I, again, I have a hard time because you really don't see that said in any other setting or fashion. So I think that's, that, that has to be what we're doing with here, uh, we're dealing with here. And the map is such a drag. I think of a map and you think of those like classic World War II movies where everybody's like huddled around like some sort of map room and moving stuff around. Mm -hmm. That comes to mind. I'm not sure what's meant by the map is such a drag. I, I think it's just like the map is uh, with never ending wars. What's the point of? of I see what you're saying. Okay. Uh, borders are essentially useless at that point. Um, and looking back on wars like World War One, they fought for months, if not years, for for feet of trench uh, mm. ground, um, and it was like pointless uh, fields. Like, like before, there there was no actual meaning of the territory that they were gaining. Um, they were dying for hundreds of feet of um, of planes. Like there, it's just mm -hmm. such a drag to get that that little bit of, of um, additional ground. And you're suggesting that the idea is we, we're, we just keep doing this back and forth. So what's the point of doing it? Yeah, okay. I think drag just is like a, uh, you're such a drag, like negative, like, like boring almost. Sure. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about with this, with this one? Um, I mean, we covered everything. Yeah, I think, no, I think we got it. Um, yeah, I I didn't realize until we've just started talking now how how much the imperialism theme resides within it. Um, and frankly, that's, that's something that I away. I think it's something I had in the back of my mind, but I think yeah, it helped to talk to flesh that out because it 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 becomes a little more prevalent the more you look at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a very somber and sad song. Um, so, uh -huh. um, so it's 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 I, you could almost say it's a drag <laughs> to get through um, the lyrics. But, um, Look at this guy! Wow. Yeah, it's funny because yesterday I just watched. It just was released on Netflix, "The Devil All the Time," and it almost has the same feeling Ooh. where it's just like this horrifically sad and depressing movie that like never gives any like any uplifting aspect and you're just there for two and a half hours just like one miserable thing happens after another but you're watching Man. Um, and that's like almost what the song feels like it's it's and it's, it's interesting long. because the song is long it's four minutes it's long. like four and a half minutes yeah, yeah. and very rarely, like, you make an interesting point. Like, this movie, I, ha I haven't heard of this movie, but very rarely do you have a book or a movie or a song that truly, I mean, songs is a little more often because they're shorter, um, but very rarely do you see something like that where it's a legitimately sad ending. Like, even if it's like um, Sweeney Todd, for example, is like a play where literally the entire thing is a guy's killing people and serving them as food. Like there's resolution at the end. Mm -hmm. We don't really feel that here. And yeah, it, yeah. it does leave you questioning. It's, 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 it's curious. And even with like Shakespearean dramas, there's comedy within them to, 
to lighten the yes. mood. Um, and in like this song, for example, there's, I, I guess you could make the, the, the case that there's some kind of playfulness in it with the pre, I, the pre-war lyric strikes out to me, but I don't think there's enough to ever fully feel the mood lightened. Um, and I think a good point mm-hmm. to bring up is that the next song, um, the final song of the album, is this very, um, very upbeat song um, with... Shoot, what is it? The next song of the album is Young Lion, which is this very okay. quick one minute, 45 second song, this playful piano key. Um, and to, to kind of like leave you with a good taste in your mouth, because <laughs> it would be very strange for the album to just end on this. Um, like that. And it's, it honestly would be more fitting if it ended like that, because after that, there was a seven year stretch with no more albums. So that would have been tough. That would have been really tough. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost more fitting for it to end on this like somber, like, okay, we'll see you later. (laughs) But but then again, let's, let's think about how they left us. What was the last song in the debut album? It it was the kids don't stand a chance. No, it was kids don't stand a chance. So you got that going for you. The last oh, yeah. song on Contra was I Think You're a Contra. Um, so they did kind of have a precedence for leaving us with a weird taste in our mouth. Yeah, you know what I, mean? I would say weird, but not necessarily depressing. Okay, that's fair. Because um, like this is, and, and still like this is not the last song of the album. So I, I mm-hmm. think they added that to kind of just like leave a good taste in the mouth, but um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely interesting to see Vampire Weekend dive into these these sad songs. Mm. So oh, where do you rank this of our four? So uh, this is actually my least favorite Vampire Weekend song. Um, really? So I... I I skip it most of the time. It's the only okay. Vampire Weekend song I skip. Um, so <laughs> unless I'm listening to the album straight through. And even then, I'm, like, forcing myself to listen. Uh, I appreciate it more now, but it's still – there's a big gap. Um, it's still um, – I think today's the day I push campus over, um, over unbelievers. So, so I'm going campus wow. – Unbelievers, okay. California English and Hudson. So then you're not going to like what I have to say. Because <laughs> I think if you read this song, this song like a poem that mm-hmm. you had to read and dissect in like AP language or something, mm-hmm. it's really freaking good. Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go Unbelievers, Hudson, wow. Campus, wow. California English. Wow. Just because I think there's a lot here. This is cool. It is I cool. think it's very interesting. I, I, I agree. Now, I might skip it too, to be honest with you. <laughs> I might skip it the next time I go Modern Vampires front to back. Mm-hmm. But right now, right now, I'm going to go Unbelievers, Hudson, Campus, California. Well, there you go. There you go. That's, hey, that's a good representation of the Vampire Weekend fan community because there's a, this song is very – There we go, yes. A lot of people hate it and a lot of people – 
like it. So, um, okay. So the hat for this week is um, not hall juggernauts. Um, the dorm I lived in in undergrad. Um, great dorm. Hell yeah, not hall. I think that's all that needs to be said there. I would put it in my personal top three ranking <laughs> Good. And what's what's your number one for the audience uh, reference? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's just go. Kevin's top five here. Um, <laughs> if I had to rank the men's dorms like personal ranking, I would go. Honestly, I don't even know. It's Keenan, obviously. I I had a, a several good friends in Steads. I had a, several very good friends in, in Not. Um, and after that, I really didn't have a preference. I don't know. Dunn had a good thing going on. Like for starting out as late as they did in the game, they kind of they kind of pulled things together. Um, Duncan seems fun. I don't really get. I don't really. Yeah, I would have liked a little bit of alumni for a week. I feel like that would have been a really fun time. Um, I just really hope some random person who has no knowledge of Notre Dame is listening to this and is like, "What, what if is going on? What if we turn somebody on to like Notre Dame dorm culture? What if they like begin <laughs> studying like that? That is a stretch. It's it's a stretch, <laughs> but I mean, crazier things have happened. Just as like a fandom kind of thing. I will say before okay. I pick a song, me and Kevin were talking about how strange it is how we haven't had a single Father of the Bride song yet. Uh, so let's see. If I I cannot wait for the Bride. I <laughs> <laughs> okay. The song is we got it. We got it. Stranger. Oh, Stranger. I love Stranger. You you know this is like my favorite song. Right? This is like this might oh, be my favorite that. Vampire Weekend song. Big so I'm Billy Joel very songs. excited. It's more to me. Actually, is I've always thought of as more of like a like a Graceland kind of thing. We can get we'll get into that next week. I'll save okay. my takes for that. But um, <laughs> sounds good. Um, well, all right, that's very exciting. Cool. Thanks for joining us uh, on this week's episode, and hope to see you next week. Um.